Hello, and welcome to The Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis. And this week, I want to talk about a term that I really don't like. And uh, I've been talking for a long time about this, but um, I recently had another breakthrough in my understanding of what I, I think is at play here. And uh, the term that I want to talk about is mental toughness. And I'm I'm going to get into that um, a bit, but um, you know, many of you who've been listening for a long time know that I'm I'm bothered by lots of terms and and words that are frequently used, and I thought I would actually give some context for that um, because you know uh, you may just think I'm some cranky person who doesn't like the term mental toughness. I hope by the end of this you don't think that. Um, but I also want to sort of show you the path I got uh, on that that led to me not liking that. And I want to use a mundane example before I get into mental toughness. Um, the word kick. <laughs> uh, as used to describe what your legs do while you are swimming. Um, and like all of the things I talk about here, I, for the most part, can't pretend that I have come up with this on my own. Um, but I, I can, I know exactly where I was when I first understood this dissonance in the word kick. Um, I, I spent a weekend in 2017 watching Milton Elms coach at Grand Canyon University. And um, people who've listened to this podcast know for a long time, I'm a huge admirer of um, Milt. And, uh, you know, I think anytime I'm in that situation, I am uh, just trying to listen and learn. And one of the things he he pointed out to all of us there was, um, and it has to do with this word kick, I promise, is, is kind of a, um, a simple way of understanding how we communicate and uh, with words. <laughs> I'm having a hard time communicating with words to tell you that. So whenever we use a word, a word that people already know, so I, I say a word like kick, right? In your mind, there exists uh, a definition for that word. If you've heard the word kick before, if you feel like that's a word I know, um, there's, there's infrastructure in your mind. And in the case of the word kick, um, I think most people probably learned it and defined what it meant to kick long before they entered a pool to learn to swim. Maybe they kicked their brother. Maybe they kicked a ball. Um, you know, youth soccer was big when I was a kid. But the motion that most people make with their legs in swimming strokes is for the most part, not anything like those other kicks, right? Um, or like, you know, a kickboxer doing a roundhouse kick. Um, maybe breaststroke comes closest, but even that I would say is probably more of a stomp than a kick, but you know, don't want to get into that now. So to account for this, Milt said to us very explicitly, cause he would, he would be doing stuff with swimmers and he would have all sorts of wild names for things. And, um, you know, owing to my knowledge of Scandinavian languages, I, I did know that one of them was loaned from Swedish, but 
he would basically take a word that the audience that he was delivering it to had never heard before. So that when those people attempted the things that he was asking them to do, they would not associate the new thing. He was trying to, you know, form new um, cognitive patterns in them that they wouldn't groove it into the existing pattern so that when he was trying to teach them to do something with their legs in swimming, they wouldn't think of kicking, right? They wouldn't think of this movement that actually doesn't have a lot to do with what we do with our legs in uh, swimming. It, you know, if you want to get really deeper into some of what's at play here, um, another way that I've observed this phenomenon as I've, I've gone and delivered my material abroad, I've, I've delivered it in Denmark. Um, and when I deliver in Denmark, even though I can speak Danish, I feel very inarticulate in Danish. And uh, so I, I mainly end up uh, presenting in English. And I can tell you, um, it's very effective <laughs> presenting in, in people's second language. The guess that I think a lot of people would have um, maybe if you don't know anything about Denmark, many of you probably assume about Denmark, everybody speaks English there, but everybody speaks English as a second language. And therefore they have to engage the, um, the cognitive part of their brain much harder to understand me speaking in English. So I actually find that retention of the stuff that I am, um, speaking about is, is, is significantly higher with a Danish audience. And some of it is I am able to introduce terms in English that they have not heard before. Right. So I've got literally like blank canvas in front of me for defining things. And it's really, really, really powerful. Um, but the point of this whole preamble, right, was not to discuss kick. It's to discuss uh, <laughs> the, the, the term that I find uh, the most frustrating, uh, used in what I will call sports psychologizing. Um, I, and I guess I have to explain that term as well. Um, psychologizing is what I would like to distinguish from, um, is, is my issue is, is not with psychologists or sports psychologists, but sort of the culture uh, writ large in sport, taking terminology and um, making it into, quote, psychology um, and adapting it, I think, in a really haphazard manner. And that that's what I would call sport psychologizing. Um, and I know I'm going to pick on the term mental toughness here. I'm going to use mental toughness throughout, but I'll give as many, I guess, as, as expansive a definition. Um, Mental resilience is another term that I, I really struggle with. Fortitude and anything else, honestly, that swaps mental for psychological, <laughs> um, that uses those two synonymously um, or uses something that I think most people would understand as a synonym for toughness. Um, I want to suggest that we can do a lot better than mental toughness that by promoting it as a goal, we are actually hardening limiting beliefs within our sport culture. Um, but before I even get into my specific issues with mental toughness, um, I have to uh, 
show my sources once again uh, to discuss the sort of paradigm that I'm applying to to this discussion. Um, those of you who who have been around me know I have been on a Nassim Nicholas Talib. I mean, listeners of the podcast are going to go, this guy again. I'm telling you, you got to get out and read some of these books. Um, despite the fact that it may seem that, that it has no relevance to sports, um, these are philosophy books. <laughs> and the philosophy, quite obviously, really resonates with me. And um, part of it resonates because I think that he understands positive psychology better than the people who actually use the term positive psychology. I've never heard him use the term positive psychology, and he probably, I'm guessing, would physically bristle <laughs> at even hearing it. Um, but I actually think that he understands some of the concepts extremely well and communicates them extremely well. Um, and, and I'll tell you about one of them here as it relates to mental toughness. In his 2012 book, Anti-Fragile, and many, many times since, he lays out a really simple to learn, but very hard to fully understand concept for pretty much anything. That uh, things can either be fragile, robust, or anti-fragile. So let me define those terms as he defines them. The definition of fragile applies to something that is harmed when exposed to adverse random events. So one example he'll use really frequently is a porcelain teacup. Obviously, a teacup will be harmed in the case of a serious earthquake or a particularly angry person slamming it on the table, right? Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shatter. And most importantly, it in addition to it being harmed by those things, it does not gain in strength, right? Banging it on the table does not make a porcelain teacup stronger, right? Now, robustness, that's fragile. fragile. Robust or robustness is a quality of resistance to harm, right? So probably the easiest example for this is a diamond, right? When you think about like the hardest substance on earth, it's nearly indestructible, right? You can't, um, you can't put a dent in it with, uh, other substances. And in this way, robustness to me really is toughness. And that's where I start to loop this knowledge back into the understanding of, of, of sports. Um, Talib points out that a lot of people think that robust is the opposite of fragile, but this falls apart on simple logical terms. Fragile items, then we're thinking back to the definition of fragility, right? Fragile items are harmed by random events. The opposite of being harmed by random adversity is not not being harmed. It would be actually gaining from that adversity. And this is where um, Talib found himself in a Nelmsian situation, right? There existed no word, this word anti-fragile, you know, it's a, it's a made up term, um, but there wasn't a, there wasn't an opposite of fragile. And um, I've heard him, you know, lecture on this a lot of times and, you know, 
So maybe somebody listening just go, oh, actually, in my language, there's a word for that. Um, he insists there's not. I have never encountered um, in all my study of, of languages a, a necessary opposite for it. Um, and I would say of these, yeah, sorry, can you get back to the actual definition of anti-fragile? I thought it was, you know, I guess it was kind of implied in what I said, but it's the quality of gaining from random adverse events. These are things that get stronger in an earthquake or things that respond positively to stressors. And I think this goes to the core of everything we're doing in sport, right? The whole concept of training is you are applying stressors, adversity to a system, and that system actually gains from that stress, right? Now, this is kind of like a fundamental, like if you don't understand that, then you would never get up and go to practice or lift weights or do anything, right? Um, and so if, if you think about the body and mind, they both have the potential to be anti-fragile. Think back to the last personal best you ever achieved, or, you know, if you're a coach and it's been a long time, <laughs> uh, think back to somebody you coach, what led to it. Okay. Again, you trained and you applied stress. And I would honestly say, although you could argue that all of it is planned, there is no way to perfectly plan for that stress. It is by nature dynamic and evolving and, um, highly, highly experiential. Um, you know, you, if you're a coach, you know that every single person in the water is receiving what you're doing a little bit differently. Right. Um, but if your body and mind have the resources, they grow in an anti-fragile manner. That is in response to that random adversity, they prepare for a reality that hasn't happened yet. They strengthen, they plan for a stress they've never seen. And this is how you're able to, how, how athletes are able to move to their best, even though that is something that they're, they have never experienced before. Um, and I guess I should make the aside at this point that, um, you know, your mind and body are inextricably linked. That's one of the reasons why, even though I spend a lot of time thinking from the mind out, um, you cannot isolate the mind, right? And, uh, you know, so these aren't distinct systems, mind and body, right? Um, and they're a lot more similar, you know, they're, 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 they're a lot more similar. If you think about your brain as, as a concentrated, um, collection of, of nerve endings, right. Of, uh, nerve tissue. And like, it's, it's not that different. I'm not an expert in biology, but it's not vastly different. And if the goal is mental toughness, uh, again, I would argue that implied in mental toughness, we're aiming for robustness, 
That is, adversity will come at you and you will resist being harmed by it. And I think the obsession with this is sprinkled through a lot of what people think of as empowering language within the sports world, which I no doubt, by the way, as I'm about to say this, I have definitely said some of these phrases, you know, keep persevering through hard times, never give up, push through adversity, right? The implication in all of these is that adversity is an obstacle and that the best you can hope for in an adverse situation is to not be harmed by it. But I think owing to this model, that's limiting because if you're aiming for toughness, robustness, you're actually denying the potential that adversity has for you, right? Robustness is actually closer to fragility than we would like to admit. And by focusing on toughness, we're actually fragilizing. There's another made up word, fragilizing. You, you can guess what it means. Fragilizing athletes. If adversity is something to be withstood, that it is implied that you will eventually get more than you can withstand and be totally broken. Think about the way that many athletes do a challenging training or a challenging set. I got to get through this, they may think, because it will lead to my goal. But do they actually understand that meeting something that will make them feel deep, raw, uncomfortable, negative emotion is actually, I used actually twice in this sentence, the biggest fuel for their growth, right? Or do they believe that simply withstanding, being robust in the face of that challenge is supposed to somehow magically make them good? This is also why I think this, this focus on robustness or toughness is why a lot of people can end up feeling really drained in moments of high adversity, even though they're doing well. And they've actually jump-started a lot of things. Like this is, I see this dissonance so much with coaches where you have somebody who's actually in a high growth moment. And yet because it's deep, raw, um, uncomfortable emotion, their perception is, no, things are going really badly right now. And you're not in that emotional state as a coach. You, you can sort of see where things are headed, but you can imagine that thinking that these moments that are actually the biggest growth moments, the biggest potential moments for you are, are actually the opposite can really hamstring, um, how much growth you get off of those. So when I coach athletes, I want them to struggle. Um, some of the athletes that I've coached, even, you know, I, I, I ease them into this because it's, it's a little bit controversial, but some of them are, they're even coming on calls with me after they've really struggled in a meet. They know I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get to work and that I see the giant potential in those moments because I want them to come up against unforeseen situations that look like they're completely blocking their path because I've been through it enough times to feel energized, right? I don't always feel that way. I used to feel exhausted looking at those situations, but I've been through it enough times and I understand the potential of it that I feel energized um, 
because I know that those moments, their potential for growth is exponentially higher. And I think this flies in the face of what we're experiencing culturally, especially with the highest achieving athletes that we coach in youth sports. They are in most cases insulated from adversity. Um, in Denmark, the term they always used was quote curling parents, but I think of it more, I mean, I don't want to single out parents. I think it's a curling society. I think coaches, a lot of us, if we look in the mirror, we're, we're opting in to we've, we've bought in to, um, you know, essentially standing in front of athletes, like a, like a curler. If you ever watch a sport, get on YouTube and watch it. It's two people with brooms furiously, smoothing out ice so that a giant weighted puck can reach the correct destination. You know, we're just trying to like, we're just trying to find all the problems that are in the way and get them out of the way. So, you know, so that this person can be successful and achieve at a higher level, but athletes that come in, up in, in a system like that, in a curling culture, like that, they think that they have achieved so much because of their lack of failure. And they're right in a sense, but what they don't understand is that it is an inherently fragile structure that is threatened by nearly any adversity and only gets more fragile the more they persist in that system. So the process of building anti-fragility in the mind involves building a cognitive link between failure and desired outcomes. Um, and actually really go, that's probably the first step. And the next step involves going beyond desired outcomes by desired outcomes. I really think, you know, like people's tangible results. Athletes can learn to actually fully understand adversity as a concept and make a link between it and getting where they want. But as I said, there's, there's a deeper level and that's probably for another podcast. Um, email me at swim brief podcast. If you want to hear that one, they can decide that they're committed to the process, right? That they, that they believe will give them a high level of achievement, a process with plenty of failure and adversity because it's going to get them where they to be who they want to be more generally. Right. And not, maybe not specifically, maybe it's not going to get you to go, you know, under 50 and the hundred free, but it's going to make you a better person. And if we're not interested in that as coaches, I mean, I, I don't, I don't really know why you're doing what you're doing, but I know in my personal life, I have found that I am grateful for the worst things that have ever happened to me. And I've had to cultivate that gratitude. I, I didn't wake up the day after my mom died. We're recording this two days after my mom's birthday. You know, I didn't wake up the day after and scream, thank you. Like, you know, I'm so happy. Right. Um, I didn't feel that way two days ago when it was her birthday. I wasn't full of joy. I was bitter, I was angry, and I was deeply sad, right? Negative, raw emotion. And I wanted an impossible outcome to come true, okay? 
I wanted her to be alive. And honestly, I didn't want to hear anything else. But that feeling of grief, that futile rage has had to learn to coexist with gratitude for the growth that, that it has spurred in me, right? That I have undertaken since then. So when I coach athletes, I give them a cognitive process for recognizing adversity for what it is. The worst moments they have, the day when nothing goes their way, that's the biggest opportunity they will ever get to grow. It is not easy. <laughs> it's not as easy um, as that sentence I just said, but it is actually far simpler to maintain. And that's why I often work with athletes for just three to six months because I can teach them to do this on their own. I don't, they don't need me. <laughs> it's actually a natural process that, that all human beings can manage by themselves. And when they get started on it, they start flipping the script on what it, a lot of what they perceived as problems um, over two opportunities. That is all for this week. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I, uh, I, I want to give, let you know how to reach out to me. Swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com. Write me a message at christycoach.com. CD Swim Coach on Facebook. Chris D underscore coach on Instagram, any of those places. Uh, I am taking coaching clients right now for the winter fall for, as I said, three to six month um, engagements. And uh, one more note for listeners. Uh, I am considering adding a subscription to this podcast. Don't freak out. Okay. The podcast is not going to move behind a paywall. Um, I have for a long time, maintained a Patreon. Um, and I have now successfully transitioned everybody off of that, um, Patreon. What I'm going to do, um, cause Patreon took a gigantic cut of everything and I wasn't really following their business model by offering any sort of, you know, special content, um, or any dog and pony show. Um, but I know there's a lot of people listening to this who maybe you don't have a product you want sponsored on here. You don't have a, a monetary end, but you just want to support this podcast. Right. Um, and I want to give people that option. Just um, if you enjoy listening to these podcasts, um, because I, I hear from a lot of you out there and I, I appreciate you. Um, and it does cost money to produce this podcast and, and resources and time. And I want to give you the opportunity to support that. Um, so more on that later, just want to plant that idea in everybody's mind. Um, again, nothing's going behind a paywall. It's just going to be an opportunity to um, put some support behind this. And um, anyway, contact me at the other places and I will be back later this week. I'm going to have my high school swim coach. Have you ever wondered what it was like to coach me when I was an idiot teenager? You got to listen to the next podcast because... That's what you're going to get. Um, see you guys then.